Hello, welcome to the myths and history of Greece and Rome. In the next four or five chapters, we're going to step back into mythology. The Roman poet Ovid wrote many works which still survive today, describing mythological tales in his own unique style. Some of these tales are simply reworkings of Greek myths, but some are purely Roman stories. In this chapter, we will take a look at how the Roman tradition was very similar to the Greek one, with small but quite profound differences. Greek and Roman mythology are inextricably linked. The Romans lacked a clear religious and mythological background of their own, and tended to incorporate the traditions of the civilizations they came into contact with and conquered. The Greek tradition was by far the most important contributor to the Roman one, and most Roman gods were Greek gods given different names. The Romans' approach to their worship of the gods, though, was quite different from that of the Greeks. The Greeks had their pantheon of important deities, which we met in detail in the early chapters of our story. They took the opinions of their gods very seriously. They sought guidance through the use of oracles for almost every serious decision. The gods were seen as all-powerful, but not necessarily always good. Many of the most important gods had serious character flaws and a penchant for getting their own back. Zeus, Apollo, Artemis, Ares and Hera all carried out acts of petty revenge if they thought they'd been slighted. The Romans worshipped a much larger number of gods. As they conquered, they incorporated gods from Etruria, Egypt and many other civilizations into their pantheon. Once the Roman Republic had given way to the Empire, the emperors, once they died, were elevated to the statuses of gods. Some even tried to be declared gods while they were still alive. The Romans used their religion and divination more as a good luck charm than as an actual predictor of what would happen if they carried out a certain action. The Romans and Greeks had very different ideas on how the gods wanted to interact with their human followers. The Greeks believed that the gods were interested in the activities of humans and took a large role in shaping what happened. The story of the Trojan War gives a perfect example of how the Greeks believed that the Olympians meddled in the lives of humans and what happened was all part of their plans even if their plans were unfathomable to the humans. The Romans believed their gods were more passive. They still believed it was worth trying to please them, but this was more for good fortune than in the belief that the relevant god would actually intervene. The Romans believed that gods operated more through luck. If you offered sacrifices to please the gods, then the chances are that you would not run into lots of problems doing whatever it was you had decided to do. They didn't think the particular god would stretch out his or her all-powerful hand and actually manage the events. The Greeks' belief that their gods would actively aid them lessened over the years, particularly when philosophical thought became popular. They became more focused on the world of men, and their fear of gods and belief that they would directly intervene slowly died out, as did their use of oracles. The Romans, because their belief was different, continued to worship as they had always done, until Christianity replaced the ancient pantheon. The differing approaches to consulting with the gods is aptly demonstrated by how the two civilizations sought favourable outcomes in war. Greek rulers would routinely ask the gods about what course of action they should take, including whether they should go to war at all. Most Greek rulers would take the advice very seriously. Unfortunately, the oracles tended not to give clear advice, which left the leader fretting about how to interpret the message. More cynical and less pious rulers would deliberately try to twist the message in the advice to make it seem like the god was telling them to do what they wanted to do anyway. 
The Roman method was subtly, but very importantly, different. They generally decided what they were going to do, and then asked for a blessing by carrying out a prescribed ritual. After the blessing, the Romans would look for omens that the relevant god was pleased. If those omens couldn't be found, though, the Roman leader didn't give up. He just repeated the ritual until signs could be seen that the god was happy. Greek rulers were often deposed if they had apparently incurred the displeasure of the gods. This never happened to Roman leaders, particularly when the Romans began to see past and present emperors as gods. The major gods in the pantheons of Greek and Roman mythology are essentially the same, but there are a few notable differences. The Greek king of the gods was Zeus. The Romans called their chief god Jupiter. There is some evidence that the Romans were already worshipping Jupiter as the leader of the gods before they came into contact with the Greeks, but even if this is the case, Jupiter took on many of Zeus's characteristics. Zeus's wife Hera was known to the Romans as Juno. Juno seems to have had a softer character than Hera and caused the humans less trouble than her frequently jealous and vengeful Greek counterpart. The Romans offered sacrifices to Juno to help with marriage, birth or financial affairs. Comparisons between Zeus's brother Hades and the Roman god of the dead Pluto are more difficult. The name Hades for the god of the underworld became used in later times for the underworld itself. The origins of Pluto are unclear, as is his becoming the counterpart of Hades. He was given the same mythological backstory as Hades, including becoming the husband of Persephone, or, as she was known to the Romans, Prosperina. Two of the other siblings of Zeus, Poseidon and Demeter, have direct Roman counterparts in Neptune and Ceres. There is little difference between the Greek and Roman versions. Zeus's eldest sister, Hestia, has her Roman counterpart in Vesta. Her function as goddess of the hearth is similar, but the Romans also had a sacred place in Rome dedicated to her, whereas the Greeks had no temples to Hestia. The temple in Rome contained a sacred fire which was guarded and kept alight by the Vestal Virgins, an order of female priests. Apollo and his twin sister Artemis are almost identical in their Roman versions. In fact, Apollo was known by the same name in both mythologies. Artemis was known to the Romans as Diana. The Roman messenger of the gods, Mercury, differs very little from his Greek counterpart, Hermes. The Roman god Vulcan has a more interesting background. He was one of the earliest gods worshipped by the Romans, certainly before they came into contact with and absorbed the culture of the Greeks. He was originally the god of destructive fire, including volcanoes, which are, of course, named after him. Only later was he associated with constructive fire and became more closely linked with the Greek smith god Hephaestus. Dionysus was known as Bacchus to the Romans, and Bacchus was ascribed the same mythology as his Greek counterpart. Both Aphrodite and Athena very closely resembled their Roman versions, Venus and Minerva. The biggest difference between the Roman and Greek versions of the key Olympian gods was that between their gods of war, Ares and Mars. Ares, as we know, was despised by most of the other Olympians and was angry, aggressive and warlike. He frequently picked fights and loved the slaughter of the battlefield. All of his offspring were as awful as he was. He and they glorified in war for war's sake. Mars, on the other hand, was god of agriculture as well as being god of war. As well as watching over military matters, he looked after farming. He was seen as a protector of Romans and their lands and not an aggressive warmonger. 
his character was almost the complete opposite of that of Ares. The only major Roman addition to the pantheon was that of the god Janus. He was seen by the Romans to be almost as important as Jupiter himself. Janus's origins are extremely obscure, and he was one of the oldest gods worshipped on the Italian peninsula. Because his origins are lost in the mists of time, the mythology of his arrival is fractured. One myth has it that Janus was born to a mortal in Thessaly, Greece, and was the son of Apollo. He was exiled and turned up in Latium, where he ruled. Other myths claim that he welcomed the titan Saturn, known to the Greeks as Kronos, into his kingdom after he was exiled by Jupiter. Janus and Saturn built on two of the seven hills of Rome and established a golden age during which the humans were blissful and never showed any signs of ageing. Janus is credited with looking after and occasionally saving the early Roman civilization. Some sources state that he had a wife called Juturna and a son called Fontus, and later also fathered the beautiful nymph Canans. Janus was the god of beginnings and endings and the guardian of entrances and exits. The first hour of every day, the first day of every month and the first month of every year belonged to him. The Romans renamed the first month of the year January in honour of Janus. Janus is always depicted as having two heads so that he could look in both directions. This became particularly symbolic for the new year as he could look back on the year which had just passed and forward to the year which was about to come. Janus was originally portrayed as having one clean-shaven head and one bearded one, which may have represented the sun and the moon, or perhaps age and youth. Later he acquired two bearded faces and a key in his right hand, symbolising his role as the guardian of entrances and exits. Many temples to Janus sprang up in Rome. The most important of these had double gates, one facing the rising sun and one the setting sun. During the spectacular rise and then the golden years of the Roman Empire, these gates were hugely symbolic. They were opened when Rome was at war and closed when Rome was at peace. It is safe to say that they were very rarely closed. Janus's image could be found on most city gates and is found on many early Roman coins. He is sometimes said to have held the keys to heaven, which he used to open the gates any time Jupiter wanted to pass through them or to let someone else in or out. The treatment of Janus shows up one of the big differences between Roman and Greek mythology. All of the major Greek gods had many myths and stories associated with them. This particularly Roman god had very little actual mythology of his own. He had no counterpart in Greek mythology. Despite their different approaches to worshipping the gods and their lack of mythological backstories, the Romans were just as keen as the Greeks on mythological literature. Where the Greeks had Homer, the Romans had Virgil. Unlike Homer, whose very existence is still hotly debated, the dates of Virgil's birth and death are well known. He lived during the time of the late Republic and early Empire. Virgil wrote one of the most famous of all Latin mythological texts, the Aeneid. The Aeneid describes Aeneas's journey from Troy to Italy and his struggles along the way. We briefly looked at the story in chapters 24 and 26 of our tale. The story, an epic poem, is known as Rome's national epic and is one of the most important works of Western literature. The other great writer of Roman mythology was Ovid. He wrote a huge text called the Metamorphoses, giving a personal and far more Roman take on most of the important classical mythological stories. Most of them were retellings of Greek myths, but a few of them were purely Roman. 
We will tell some of these in the next couple of chapters. During these retellings of Ovid's work, we will use the Roman names for gods and humans. I have already, in this chapter, given the corresponding Roman and Greek names of the Olympian gods, so I won't be repeating that in the coming chapters. Where other characters' names differ markedly from their Greek counterparts, if they have Greek counterparts, I will give you the Greek names too. The Myths and History of Greece and Rome will be taking a two-week break before we start dipping into Ovid's work. So, until then, have a great fortnight, and I'll speak to you next time.